Om Jnana Timirandasya Jnana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shigurave Nama Shri Chaitanya Manobishtam Stapitam Yena Bhutale Svayam Rupa Kadamahyam Dadati Svapadantikam Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Yutta Parakamalam Shri Gurun Vaishnavangscha Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raghunatam Vitam Tam Sajivam Sadvaitam Saavadutam Parijana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padan Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakhan Vitangscha Nama Om Vishnupadaya Krishna Prestaya Bhutale Shimate Bhaktivedanta Swamin Itinamine Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Prachadine Nevesesha Shunyavadi Paschatyade Shatarine Vancha Kalpatarubhyascha Kripa Sindhubhya Evacha Patitanam Pavanebhyo Vaishnavebhyo Namo Nama E Krishna Karana Sindhu Dinavando Jagatpate Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostute Tapta Kanchana Gaurangi Radhe Vrindavaneshwari Rishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhanityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vatsadi Gaurabhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare 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 Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Narayanam Namaskritya Naram Chaivanarottamam Devim Saraswati Vyasam Tato Jayamudiraye Nashta Prayeshvabhadreshu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya Bhagavati Uttamashloke Bhakti Bhavati Naishtiki Srimat Bhagavatam Puranam Amalang Yat Vaishnavanam Priyam Yasmin Paramahangsyam Ekam Amalang Gyanang Param Giyate Tatra Jnana Viraga Bhakti Sahitam Naishkarmyam Aviskritam Tatshinvan 
सुपतन विचारन परीमुचेन्मदभागवतम इज द स्पॉटलेस पुराण इट इज मोस्ट डियर टू द वैष्णवज बिकॉज इट डिस्क्राइब्स द प्योर एंड सुप्रीम नॉलेज ऑफ द पारमहंसज This Bhagavatam reveals the means for becoming free from all material work together with the processes of transcendental knowledge renunciation and devotion Anyone who seriously tries to understand Shrimad Bhagavatam who properly hears and chants it with devotion becomes completely liberated Shrimad Bhagavatam ki jai. So welcome back <clears throat> to. Okay, welcome back to our discussions of Shrimad Bhagavatam, Canto Ten, Chapters twenty-nine through thirty-three, the Rasa Panchadhyaya, or Rasa Lila Panchadhyaya. Um, we're a bit behind schedule because of a um, a breakdown of internet connection on day before yesterday, but um, it's okay. We do what we can. Today we want to focus on chapter thirty. and uh, hopefully also at least partially chapter 31 and uh, we have various themes uh, that we can discuss along with specific verses and commentary and regarding commentary i perhaps arbitrarily but i kind of decided to focus mainly on shila sanatan goswami's brihat vaishnava toshani mm. um i've listed several verses i would like to discuss but we'll see how the time goes and before we do that a little bit of quick review yesterday we continued well we actually just got started with the revisiting of chapter 29 the first of the five chapters of the rasalila panchanyaya and uh especially striking we find in the very first verse is the mention of yoga maya excuse me so um we talked at some length about yoga maya as a facilitator of lord krishna's pastimes in general and specifically in the in the rasalila and one of her functions is to facilitate kind of uh, transcendental forgetfulness so you may remember of uh, this very interesting i find insight of shilavishana chagavarti takur that there is 
this transcendental forgetness, forgetfulness of Krishna's identity as Bhagavan, as the Supreme Lord, as long as everything is going along peacefully in Bracha. But when there's some disturbance, then there is memory that he is the Lord. And this goes both for the residents of Vrindavan and for the Lord himself. Uh, there's also, from this very first verse especially, calling us our attention, which expands very much in the next chapter to the, the place, the role of nature in the pastime, the beauty of the moonrise uh, in the night is stimulus, it's inspiration for Krishna to play his flute and to enjoy um, loving pastimes with his associates, the gopis. Um, yeah, like so many of these themes, this in itself is a major theme we could spend a lot of time with, but let me just for now move on and we're just touching some review points. Um, I don't think I mentioned it explicitly yesterday, but what we see in Krishna's mm, speeches of persuading the gopis or trying to persuade the gopis to return back to their homes or seeming to try to persuade them uh, is the language of dharma. Uh, he is emphasizing what is the dharma of the gopis, what is proper. And there's a conflict here. There's a conflict between uh, dharma, at least as it's ordinarily conceived, and bhakti, uh, especially when bhakti is very intense, as it is with the gopis. And so, one of the very broad themes of the Bhagavatam as a whole, I would suggest, is relations between dharma and bhakti how this plays out in various narratives and in various um, didactic passages can be a subject of uh, great interest. And a starting point for understanding it um, and maybe encapsulating the whole point of the Bhagavatam we may want to go back to Canto 1, Chapter 2, Verse 6. Savai Pungsang Paro Dharmo, Ito Bhaktira Dhokchade, Ahitu Kiyapratiyata, Yayatma Suprasidati. It's a definition of both Dharma and Bhakti, in a sense, and it's saying that the highest Dharma is bhakti, but what sort of bhakti? A haituki, that which has no hetu, no cause, and a pratihata, and that which has no interruption. And what's the test? The test is 
suprasida, suprasidana, uh, the complete satisfaction of the atma, of the self. So that would be the sort of core understanding of the relation of bhakti and dharma. But we could, um, one could explore the whole Bhagavatam with this theme of their relations. And a general point I would uh, make in this regard is that when we speak about dharma, we're generally speaking about um, boundaries, especially social boundaries. And this is where the gopis are being sort of lectured by Krishna uh, in chapter 29, that you have crossed the boundaries uh, of propriety and you need to return back and put yourself back within uh, within those boundaries. And the gopis are basically saying, well, it's too late. <laughs> we've, we've already crossed the boundary and there's no going back. But at the very end, in chapter 33, uh, Krishna says, okay, now it's time for you to go back home. And they don't really want to go, but okay, we'll go back home. Uh, so in some sense, the whole rasa lila, you can say, is... Mm, well, we can say that uh, the boundary field of dharma is kind of in the background, but it's never, it doesn't disappear. It's always, it's always sort of present. In contrast, the dharma is bhakti, which is often about the transgression of boundaries, crossing over boundaries, overflowing uh, emotions, emotions don't agree to be contained uh, within boundaries of rules and regulations all the time. They spill over uh, the astasattvika bhava, the uh, symptoms of ecstasy in the body, the eight kinds of symptoms of uh, shivering and choking and change of bodily color and hair standing on end and so on. Uh, these are symptoms or characteristics of uh, the emotions pushing out beyond the body and manifesting in the body uh, in those ways. Um, we also talked about, uh, this was with respect to, uh, I don't have it noted here, which verse was it? 15. Uh, the verse which is there for memorization about mm, a response of Srila Sh Shukadev Goswami to Maharaj Pariksit's question in which he's uh, saying that one can approach the Lord in any one of any sort of emotion and one will be purified. Uh, again, that's a theme of the Bhagavatam as a whole. So it's a very important idea. And what I call a motif, and I've probably mentioned this uh, the last time, last year when we met, uh, we were discuss what were we discussing? Eight, eighth or ninth canto? And uh, so one 
persistent motif, not exactly a theme, but a motif throughout the Bhagavatam, is what I call reception. And there are so many different sorts of reception. There are genuine welcoming receptions. There are receptions where the person is not welcome. There's reception where you don't know is the person welcome or not. That's how the Bhagavatam starts. Maharaj Parikshit uh, meets the sage in the forest, and the sage is not showing any uh, reciprocation. One thing leads to another, and we have, therefore, the Bhagavatam. Here we have an interesting case, um, what I would call ritual reversal. One would normally, in ritual of worship of Krishna, one is receiving Lord Krishna. And I think I mentioned this is standard beginning of archana, um, idam asanam or asanam samarpayami, svagatam susvagatam. It's welcoming the Lord. And after welcoming and seating him, then offering so many items of worship. Here, it's the other way around. It's Krishna inviting the gopis. Um, but, but it's a reversal in another way also. First, he invites them, and then he, when they come, he immediately tells them to go home. <laughs> Uh, so it's an interesting uh, case of the reception motif in the Bhagavatam. Okay, uh, I guess we can go on to chapter 30, unless someone has a point or question uh, to chapter 29 before we continue. We're all okay. We have imbibed chapter 29. <laughs> Good. Okay. So, chapter 30, the gopis search for Krishna. Krishna begins the rasa dance toward the end of chapter 29. And all is going well. He is reciprocating with all the gopis. It's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. But... There's one problem, and the problem is a perceived pride on the part of the gopis because they're all thinking, I am dancing with Krishna. <laughs> so they're thinking they're a little special. Krishna detects this and immediately disappears. His disappearance is then a cause of great disturbance for the gopis, and their response to Krishna's absence is uh, the substance, the content of chapters 30 and 31. Uh, we can say they're especially active in chapter 30 to search out, to find Krishna, uh, and in their not finding Krishna, they're also active in that they uh, make performance. They remember Krishna and 
reenact his pastimes, they imitate him. So it's all in a very active mode. And then, chapter 31, they all sit down on the bank of the Yamuna and they sing. And uh, in this way, they, we might want to say, are performing uh, in a more passive way expressing their their feelings toward Krishna. In in both chapters, of course, the feeling, the essential feeling is absence. Um, there are two terms, two technical terms, viraha and vipralamba. And um, I won't be able to say just now the the difference between the two. There's uh, there are some technical differences. Maybe one of you uh, would be able to expound on this. I wanted to just uh, mention a third term, which is not used in this context, uh, to my knowledge, and that is abhava. This is used generally in in philosophical contexts, it's considered to be one of the uh, one of ten types of pramana. It's mentioned by Srila Jiva Goswami in his Tattva Sandarbha as one of ten uh, types of evidence. How do we know that something is the case? Uh, there's Pratyaksha, Anumana, Shabda, uh, Upama, and so on. And one of them is Abhava. And Abhava just means absence. It's the perception that something or someone is not present. So it's an interesting kind of pramana because it's a perception of what is not present. Normally, we think of perception as always perceiving something present, but um, the tradition says, well, you can also perceive that something is not present. <laughs> and that's, that can be very significant. And here, the point is that it's hugely significant. Uh, it, it's, the, it's the basis uh, of the drama of the Rasalila. It's what's driving the the story of the Rasalila forward is Krishna's absence. Uh, Anantagor Sundar Prabhu, you have your hand raised. Abhava, I can understand that the part of Rasa is easy to understand, but how is it called a Pramana that I couldn't understand? Yeah, yeah. Well, our Gaudiya Vaishnavacharyas, Jiva Goswami says it's it's traditionally one of the forms of evidence, but it's it's kind of subsumed within pratyaksha and anumana, and therefore it's not uh, taken as an important uh, separate form of pramana for the Gaudiyas. Um, it's a kind of perception, generally, because supposing, I mean, just think of some example, you, you uh, maybe you have a bicycle and 
uh, your bicycle is always parked in a certain place every day. One day you go out to take your bicycle to ride somewhere, and it's not there. You look and you look and you look and your bicycle's gone. And your first thought is, somebody stole my bicycle. Um, but it, it's very clear that the bicycle is not there. <laughs> so that's a kind of evidence. It's a form of knowing. I know that my bicycle is not present. That's, that's the basic idea. Uh, okay. And uh, Hema Gopi Devi. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Hare Krishna. Um, well, in um, I think this comes in introduction to um, Isha Upanishad, if I'm not wrong. Prabhupada talks about this pramanas, mm -hmm. and Prabhupada establishes that only Shabda Pramana is bona fide. Mm -hmm. Pratyaksha, Anuma and all, because senses are involved, mm -hmm. then we we do not consider them as like, uh, uh, I mean, at least in that book, I remember reading like that. Yeah. So how how does it work for Abhaval? Because it's also based <laughs> on perception. Is it considered like a, yeah. because maybe Krishna was really there when we were talking about Radharani feeling separation, you were reading out that Krishna was actually there. But yeah. Radharani was uh, perceiving some separation. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Thank you, Marsh. Okay. Well, I didn't. I didn't want to go so much into this technical term of bhava, but actually, uh, the acharyas, at least Sanatanga Swami, mm, in one of these commentary, uh, one of these verses explains that actually uh, Krishna was present. Um, I think it's in this term, antar gata, or whatever it is, that he, his disappearance was that he went within them. Mm. Uh, what's the term? Yeah. <clears> Tatra <throat> eva antaradiyata. Um, that he's he's with them, he's in their hearts, he's present the whole time, but he's not visible. He's not visible. They feel his absence. And so in that sense, and because of that, they feel a great, great uh, well, pain. And this, this word pain comes again and again. Mm. Especially, especially in chapter thirty-one. As for, I mean, just this is a detail now about pramanas. Um, I'd have to look what Prabhupada is saying. Of course, shabda praman is considered the decisive and ultimate uh, source of knowledge of authority. But Jiva Goswami does not reject pratyaksha and anuman. Only he subordinates them to Shabda. Uh, and Pratyaksha and Anuman are very useful for ordinary life. For Vyamaharika existence, we function uh, uh, so many things. We need our perceptions and our reasoning uh, just to get through life. So these are not rejected. 
but they're subordinate um, to Shabda. And again, Abhava as a pramana is subsumed within Pratyaksha. Um, I think just Pratyaksha, but maybe also within Anumana. Yeah. Okay, so I think we can start with chapter 30. And we first hear from Shishuka Goswami about the immediate response of the gopis, Atapyangstam Achakshanaha. Um, they who are not seeing achakshanaha mm, atapyan felt great remorse that's verse number one and then we get more de- more detail of how they respond in verse number two um, in a general way uh, the, the, the cowherd women remembered Lord Krishna their hearts were overwhelmed by his movements and loving smiles, his playful glances and enchanting talks, and by the many other pastimes he would enjoy with them. So they're remembering all of this. Thus absorbed in thoughts of Krishna, the Lord of Rama, the gopis began acting out his various transcendental pastimes. Mm. And then there's a little more about uh, imitation acting out. Um, but then, starting with verse 5, is going to be a longer series of uh, their addressing the various flora and fauna of the forest, asking, where is Krishna? Where is Krishna? Um, so I wanted to look a little more closely at verse number three. Uh, let's see, 289. And uh, maybe I should share the screen. Let me just check. Okay. Let's try this. Okay, hopefully you can see that, and hopefully it's not too small. Let's make it a little bigger. Oops. Okay, how's that? It's kind yeah, of, we can do it, Maharaj. It's kind of fuzzy, but uh, that's the copy that I have. So I'll just read uh, the, the verse and at least part of the commentary. Because the beloved gopis um, were absorbed in thoughts of their beloved Krishna, their bodies imitated his way of moving and smiling, his glances, his speech, and other distinctive features. Deeply identifying with and maddened 
By remembering his pastimes, they declared to one another, I am Krishna. And so, let's see what Sanatana Goswami says. This verse describes their absorption in Krishna. The list was mentioned in the previous verse. Adi indicates his activities and Vibrama. Uh, that was in the previous verse, I believe. Since they were already mentioned, the adjectives used with them are not again mentioned. So he's giving a kind of technical point here. Um, no, necessary, no need to um, repeat what was in the previous verse. Their bodies with senses and limbs, murtayaha, were absorbed in imitating his pastimes. Internally and externally, they were overcome with this bhava. And then he quotes from 7th Canto, chapter 7. Um, I'll just read the translation. By those methods... That person liberated from all bondage with mind and body acting for the Lord and thinking of the Lord, having already burned up the seed of desire, achieves a direct meeting with the Supreme Lord through his Raga Bhakti. Yeah, that's... we could look at that and see what is the context, but let's keep moving. Uh, Sanatana Goswami continues, they were women of Allah. Oh, one second here. And they were women of Allah, and thus it was suitable that they imitate women. But still, they imitated him. Or, and as I mentioned yesterday, Sanatana Goswami loves to find alternative meanings for words and phrases. Or, because of the pain, they were without strength, abalaha. Two means certainly. They said, I am he, because of great pain or because of absorption in the pastimes. The reason is given. They were filled with Krishna, tat-atmikaha. This tat-atmikaha is going to come more than once in this chapter uh, because this is kind of a theme. They are absorbed in Krishna. Uh, li literally, they... Mm, they whose, well, atmika, having, having as their self tat, which refers to Krishna. Um, they did not say, I am Krishna because of their separation or because they identified with him. Being filled with Krishna is natural when one is absorbed in pastimes of prema. It does not mean that one that they became one with him as in jnana. They were affectionate to him, priya, priyasya, 
because he was Krishna most attractive. Okay, so one point um, he, he wants to make clear that we shouldn't think of this as some sort of Advaitavadi uh, statement. And here we might point out, and maybe you've already noticed this, but there are verses in the Bhagavatam which could be construed in a non-dualist, radical non-dualist way. In other words, Advaitavadi can point to certain verses or certain phrases and say, uh-huh, you see, actually, actually it's all one. <laughs> Indeed, varanti tat tattva vidas tattvam yajnanam advayam. Uh, this is advaya jnana. It is non-dual knowledge. So they might grasp this point and try to run with it to say, actually the Bhagavatam is talking about non, absolute non-dualism. So here Sanatana Goswami is saying, no, 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 don't think that way. It's their feeling of affection for the Lord uh, that's causing them to make this uh, sense of being Krishna. But he's not finished uh, explaining possibilities. He says, or this identity with Krishna can be part of the imitation. They show the imitation in this verse. They say, imitating Krishna, O oh, women, I am that playful lover. <laughs> Unquote. It is understood that previously he said this as a joke. Why is the statement not complete? It was their mental creation, tat atmika. Or tat atmika indicates that the imitation was a complete duplicate. Their activities of kissing, embracing, and vibrama were like Krishna's actions. <laughs> or, vihara vibrama can mean that they performed his actions of losing a necklace, vihara without a necklace. <laughs> Krishna Vihara Vibrama can also mean that they were completely bewildered about whether Krishna was playing or not. Or it can mean that they imitated his playing. The incomplete sentence is because of confusion due to separation. So the sentence, uh, I wouldn't have noticed this, but apparently the, the verse, the Sanskrit, it's not really giving a full sentence. And uh, so Sanatana Goswami is explaining this. They were feeling confused, and that's being expressed by Shugadev Goswami um, in his representation of their mood. Or she who had enjoyed with Krishna in plenty, Asao, said, I am he. 
Her identity is not revealed out of confusion in separation or out of playfulness. They spoke in this way because their minds were fixed on death. Tat atmikaha. They spoke with a desire to die out of great grief because they were mad, vibramaha, for the pastimes of Krishna. They became confused on remembering his pastimes. So, um, Sanatana Goswami finds lots of ways of taking this verse, taking each phrase. Um, one really, I get the sense he's really, really just so much relishing uh, that he's churning. It's it's a churning process. And Prabhupada once said we should discuss Bhagavatam from all angles or from all angles of vision. So it seems this is uh, what Sanatana Goswami is doing. He's exploring from all angles the different meanings. And of course, uh, he is doing it in a very skilled way. Uh, he's referring always to the Sanskrit directly, and he is uh, calling attention to different ways of construing, construing the words and uh, the meanings. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, all right, so we have the theme of imitating Krishna, of identifying with Krishna, and uh, some explanations of that. There's a lot more about his imitation, and we'll see what what comes up. Uh, I want to go jump now to verse number seven. Kachet tulasi kalyani govinda charana priye sahatvali kulayav bibra drishtaste ti priyochutaha. O most kind tulasi, to whom the feet of Govinda are so dear, have you seen that infallible one walk by, wearing you and encircled by swarms of bees? This is part of the series of verses in which the gopis are addressing the different plants, and eventually they also address uh, the deer. And they're not getting any answers from anyone. Everyone is staying silent, and this is cause of some disappointment, but they are trying to reason why it is that they are uh, one one after another. Uh, the beings in the forest are not answering them. So this, in Sanatana Goswami's explanation, and I believe this is also in Vish- Vishwanath Chakavari Thakur's explanation uh, why they approach Tulsi, the trees are male. (laughs) So they're on Krishna's side. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to tell us anything. Okay, let's go back. 
and uh, let's get it bigger. Since these trees are males, and siding with Krishna out of malice, they do not speak to us on understanding our pride. They then questioned Tulsi on their side since she was female, imagining that she has since him seen him since it was known that she had unlimited fortune by gaining his affection. Uh, and so on. And then I'm jumping now to the bottom. Um, Ali Kulaihi, which is uh, which is in the verse, Kachitulasi Halyani Govindajanana. Oh, Sahat. I think that might be a misread. It should be Hali Kulai. Okay. Oh, I see. It's two and Ali. So it's um, it's the the Sunday has merged together. It's Sahat two. Ali becomes Sahatvali. Oops. Okay, so then Sanatanga Swami explains Ali Kulaihi can also mean with friends because generally Ali means bee, a buzzing bee. And so the swarm of bees, Ali Kulai. He says, uh, Alikulai can also mean with friends. He wears you even though you have many friends. So you, of course, refers to Tulsi. They're addressing Tulsi. He wears you, Tulsi, even though you have many friends. You are dear to him among many. Thus, you are very dear to him. On the other hand, he holds many of us dear, atipriya, or he holds everyone dear. This is a statement of hatred. Now, I read this last, uh, last sentence, and I was a little bit surprised. Um, first of all, I... I didn't have time to find uh, the Sanskrit of the commentary, uh, but it would be good to know what is being translated as hatred. But some sort of aversion or some sort of, maybe maybe jealousy is the word here. Mm. You, uh, He holds everyone dear, and this is a problem, that he holds everyone dear, uh, because... He's not giving us attention. That might be the explanation. So the general point, I would say, about all of these verses in which he's ad addressing nature is that they're not responding. Uh, the trees are not responding, the bushes, the vines, uh, the... Um, even Tulsi is not responding. And the explanation why Tulsi is not responding is in the beginning of his commentary to the next verse, which is addressing Malati and Malika 
and jati and yutika uh, flowers commentary begins since tulsi is a co-wife she will not speak <laughs> uh, so they they're finding reasons why cuz they need a reason why why are they not responding and this is all within within a context of the gopis being pramatta being mad in separation from krishna uh or unmatta this is text number 14 uh iti Unmattavacho gopyaha krishnan veshana kataraha lila bhagavatas tas ta yanuchakrush tat atmika. Here again we have the word tat atmika. Uh, In their state of madness, there's also a logic. Uh, They are not completely mad. They are uh, addressing one living entity of the forest after another and then reasoning why is it that they're not responding, why they're not answering. Um, Oh, I skipped one I wanted to mention. Hold on. Mm, Yeah. Verse number 10. Oh, Mother Earth! What piety did you perform to attain the touch of Keshava's lotus feet, which has brought you such great joy that your bodily hairs are standing on end? You appear very beautiful in this condition. Was it perhaps when he stepped upon you in his form of the dwarf Vamana, or even earlier when he embraced you in his form of the boar? Varaha. So you may remember this verse. Um, let's see, they're describing Earth's glory, and the point is that they're, why are they approaching the Earth specifically? They haven't been able to get a response from any of these plants. Now they reason that, mm, well, Krishna is always stepping on the earth. And therefore, the earth knows where Krishna is because it could be that the others haven't answered because they actually, well, uh, maybe they saw him briefly, but they don't know where he is now. Yeah, this is from uh, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, and this is, in our BBT uh, publication. Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti explains the thoughts of the gopis as follows, quote, perhaps the trees and plants mentioned in the previous verse did not hear our question because they were in trance meditating on Lord Vishnu. Or perhaps, since they will not tell us where Krishna has gone, they are hard-hearted even though they live in a holy place. Anyway, what is the use of unnecessarily criticizing the residents of a holy place? (laughs) 
we cannot tell if they really know where Krishna has gone. So, let us find someone who definitely knows where he is. Thus, the gopis conclude that since Lord Krishna had to be somewhere on the earth, the earth herself must know his whereabouts. Then, the gopis thought, since Krishna always walks on the earth, she's never separated from him and thus cannot understand how much his parents, girlfriends, and servants suffer in his absence. Let us ask her what austerities she has performed to gain the great fortune of being constantly touched by the feet of Lord Keshava. So that's nice. This is also kind of typically Vishwanath Chakravarti talk, where he's sort of filling in the reasoning. Because within the verse is the question uh, about uh, or the, the reference to, to Vamana and to Varaha. And so the question may come, why do they refer to them? And uh, that's suggested by Vishwanath's suggesting that they're asking, they want to know uh, what austerities, how is it that the earth is now qualified that he's constantly getting the lotus feet of Lord Krishna on her surface? How is, how, there must be some explanation. There must be a reason. There must be a logic um, behind this. So we want to know what it is. And we're sure that the earth knows where Krishna is because he's constantly stepping on her surface. And we can see that because uh, the, the grass is showing es ecstasy. It's growing. It's like hair showing this ecstasy. Now, I wanted to also suggest... Again, if we go all the way back to Canto 1, the encounter of Maharaj Pariksit with Shamika Rishi. Shamika Rishi's in the forest, and when Pariksit Maharaj comes, he absolutely does not respond to him. And Maharaj Pariksit speculates, he, he guesses that he is feign, feigning, that is to say, he is not being straightforward. He's acting as if he's in meditation, but he's not really in meditation. That's his assumption. And because of that, he makes this operata. He himself feels insulted and he wants to show his anger, so he finds this dead snake and wraps puts it around the neck of Shamika. And that's the beginning of the Bhagavatam <laughs> because of the following curse. The point is that we could take that as a kind of anticipation of what's happening here. In this case, it's not Maharaj Parikshit in the forest, it's the gopis who are in the forest. And they're not approaching sages they're approaching 
nonetheless residents of the forest, trees and so on, and the trees are not responding. And what is the reason they're not responding? Well, it's hard to say, but a possible reason, according to Vishwanath Chakravarti, Thakur, the gopis are thinking, well, you know, it could be they're just absorbed in meditation, meditating on Vishnu, so... Um, so it's quite understandable that they're not responding. When someone is deeply absorbed uh, like this, um, they're not going to hear anything out, any external activity. But anyway, they say, uh, we shouldn't be offensive. Maybe, you know, maybe these there's there's other motivations for them not replying. But let's not speculate, let's be careful, because we're in a holy place. <laughs> and we shouldn't criticize any residents of a holy place. Yes, Anantagor Sundar Prabhu. Uh, Martin, in terms of the, this fact of criticism, hmm. Uh, I always had a question regarding this uh, definition of Rugu Swami saying that Nindatim soon there means the first class devotee has a, is devoid of the propensity to criticize others. Mm. Because generally whenever we deal with other people, so we find it's very difficult to, at least I find it very, very difficult to just stop criticizing. Mm. Not like exclusively, but even seeing we find some faults and we have to neglect it. Mm. Uh, and then we find in the first class devotees also, we just, you give the example of Parishit Maharaj also predicting that maybe he's cheating mm. or he's just, uh, and we find in the case of gopis also. So then exactly what does it mean when we say that uh, pure devotees uh, devoid of propensity to criticize others? Um, well, of course, that's a whole nother subject. And uh, I think the best person uh, comes to my mind to discuss that. Well, there are many devotees who could, but my godbrother Mahatma Prabhu is very, very good on this subject of forgiveness, how to practice forgiveness. So one way I would understand it is that the devotee, the advanced devotees are expert at forgiving others, um, forgiving others their fault, having forgiveness. And if someone, yeah, the whole subject of correcting someone who is acting in an improper way, um, having the, being the right person to correct them at the right time, in the right circumstances, with the right motivation, all those things. So the devotee, um, advanced devotee has, has no no inclination uh, to criticize, but he or she may have uh, the the duty to correct. The guru has a duty to correct the disciple. He has no inclination to find fault. That's he's not a fault finder. He's finding service. He's He's fine. He's seeing devotion. Um, but <laughs> in this world, uh, which is a world full of faults, 
he may need to also recognize fault. Is that okay? Maharaj, uh, I don't mean to say that in the platform of love, like we find gopis here uh, mm -hmm. criticizing certain things. Yeah. So that's a higher principle. That's why we undermine the principle of not criticizing others. Is it like that? Uh, yes, we could say like that. This is uh, this is loving fault finding, <laughs> and the gopis are going to find a lot of fault with Krishna, according to Sanatana Goswami, uh, in some of his commentaries. They just uh, the, Krishna has so many faults, <laughs> uh, but it's all in the spirit of love. Yes. Okay, um, then going on to, oh, I wanted to mention also uh, this theme of nature's silence. What do we know about God from nature? There is a tradition in the West uh, from several centuries ago in the Christian tradition of regarding what they called the book of nature. They said there are two there are two books of revelation. One is the book uh, of the the Bible, um, and the other is the book of nature. And they regarded nature as one way in which God reveals himself, what we might want to call the um, universal form the Virat Rupa. Anyway, just to mention that tradition is there. Um, but it's, it's interesting that as this drama is going, they're all keeping silent. I also wanted to mention about divine madness. Um, there's a book um, by a scholar from America, a lady who've, uh, who I met a couple of times at conferences, uh, called The Madness of the Saints. And I don't remember the subtitle, but it's a study of specifically Bengal, um, not only Vaishnavas, including Vaishnavas, but also Shaktas, and taking the notion of madness and, on the other side, the notion of ecstasy and sort of exploring, is, is there a clear line between the two or, or not? And it's an interesting topic because, uh, for us, Lord Chaitanya is repeatedly showing divine madness. And indeed, in the uh, Chaitanya Bhagavat, as I remember, it's uh, referring to him as having a special, kind of, you know, like a medical condition when he is young after he comes back from Gaia and he's behaving in such strange ways. And uh, the, the family members and others are saying, oh, it look, you know, he seems to be mad. Um, there's even um, a university course in anthropology on the subject of divine 
madness. Um, I came across the syllabus for this course. One professor uh, at, at Wellesley College or University in America teaches this course, uh, Divine Madness, and she um, relates modern psychology, um, neuroscience, uh, so all the empirical perspectives, uh, but also looking at accounts of one or another form of divine madness. And this, this is coming in different traditions um, around the world, some different sorts of expressions of, yeah, what might be called divine madness. So this section of the Bhagavatam, the, the gopis are in a state uh, apparently of divine madness. But I want to point out it's not such madness that there is no reasoning. No, they have lots of reasoning, a lot of, a lot of rationality is, is there. Okay, uh, moving on to 14, 15. 14. <clears throat> Having spoken these words, the gopis, distraught from searching for Krishna, began to act out his various pastimes fully absorbed in thoughts of him. So there was some mention of acting out um, just in the beginning of the chapter, and then we're uh, hearing about the gopis addressing all of the flora and fauna, getting no answers from them. They've tried then... Uh, They've been trying now for some time to find Krishna without success. And so what do they do in their state of madness? Unmatavacha. Uh, they act out various pastimes. Krishna, Anveshana Kataraha, Leela, Bhagavatas, Tasta, Hyanuchakrus, Tat Atmika. And Sanatana Goswami explains, speaking in this way, iti, the gopis enacted Krishna's pastimes, or with insane words, as was mentioned previously, unmattaka, they enacted his pastimes. The repetition of unmatta from verse 4 emphasizes their condition. Though they should not be called insane, from their questions to the various objects, this is the conclusion. <laughs> so, you know, these are the most exalted devotees. We don't want to call them insane. But then, what were they doing? Well, they were talking to trees and plants. That's If you see somebody doing that, you, this, may be, this could be your first conclusion. Uh, that they're doing something, that they're some sort of madness. So uh, that's what he's saying here. They imitated Krishna's pastimes because they were pained by separation. After searching uh, for 
he who is most attractive, Krishna. Because of the pain, they imitated him, not whimsically or thinking that it would create happiness. That's interesting. So they're in this state of great disturbance, and so there is, a, there is it's not whimsical, there's, there's a method in their madness. Um, this expression, perhaps you've heard, there is method in her madness. Uh, this comes from, from Macbeth, from Shakespeare's drama. Uh, because, uh, what is her name? Macbeth's wife um, is acting mad after they have, after um, she and Macbeth have contrived to murder, um, what's his name there, competitor. They murder him in his sleep. It's, it's a very gruesome drama. <laughs> and uh, afterward, then, she is wandering around uh, talking madly, and I think she's trying always to wash her hands uh, because she's covered in blood. Anyway, huh? Yeah, so like she was feeling that she has got blood in her hands. Yeah. So she's always washing. Yeah, yeah. So, so that phrase is there uh, from that drama famously there is method in her madness so this applies also to the gopis there is method in their madness um, but their method you might think okay so then they're doing this imitation because it, they think it's going to help relieve them of their pain but sanatan goswami says no it's not that they hope that it's going to relieve their pain Rather, and that's the next verse, they did this because their hearts were stolen by him, tat-atmikaha. Or tat-atmikaha can mean that they became absorbed in the pastimes in order to enact them. Hmm. There's a method of acting, acting this, I think it's called the Stanislav method, or Stanislavsky uh, method, one Russian um, dramatist or director of, of drama um, created or developed this method for actors in order to become mm, in order to become really powerful in. Uh, in their performances, his method was that his uh, his actors, as they're preparing to do the performance over a period of weeks, maybe months, they need to be practicing getting into their role. They need to become deeply absorbed in the attitude of the character that they are playing. And of course, this can be psychologically quite disturbing. You start getting confused about your, you know, your normal identity. 
But I think what um, Sanatana Goswami seems to be saying here is the one meaning of Tatatmika is that they, the gopis, became absorbed in the pastimes of the Lord in such a way that they could act them out. So they were like Stanislavski performers or something. Or, <laughs> by remembering him, the pranas of those who are pained by separation will suffer more. By the ghee of imitating the pastimes, how can the atma remain in the hearts of those burning from the fire of increased separation? Their atmas dedicated to imitating him with pastimes, tat atmika, will not leave because they have a relationship with a sweet, soothing ocean. If they remain in any other condition, however, they will burn up. So Sanatana Goswami is really, really working over this phrase, tat atmika, and just extracting out from it every possibility uh, of how to understand. So we can say he's, he's trying deeply to understand, to comprehend, uh, to realize what is this amazing mood of the gopis, this incredible, incredibly intense feeling that they have for Krishna. What is that? And so we might be reminded of the whole project of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, his appearing in the mood of uh, the gopis, the mood of Srimati Radharani, uh, just to experience, just to comprehend what that is. Finally, he says, Sanatan, or Tatatmika can mean that they were absorbed in Krishna. Their imitations depended on this. In this case, they were not whimsical. Some of his analysis, it's hard for me to see, you know, what all the differences are between different interpretations. But I think he's just pulling out as much as he can the different shades of meaning. Uh, then I wanted to go to the first paragraph of his explanation to the next verse, verse 15. But let's read the verse. Kasyachit putanayantyaha krishnayantyapibat stanam tokayatva rudatyanya padahan shakatayatim. One gopi imitated Putana, while another acted like infant Krishna and pretended to suck her breast. Another gopi, crying in imitation of infant Krishna, kicked a gopi who was taking the role of the cart demon Shakatasura. <laughs> so these are details. Um, so let's see, one second, first paragraph. Okay, their imitation is described in nine verses. Anuchakru 
in the previous verse indicates that the imitation was complete. They became absorbed in the enactment. Otherwise, it would have just been stated that they imitated Krishna. One can imitate the bodily actions with one's body, verbal actions with one's speech, and mental activities with the mind. Um, let's see. Hemagopi hey, Devi, can, can you please turn off your microphone? Thank you. <clears throat> One can imitate the bodily actions with one's body, verbal actions with one's speech, and mental activities with the mind. Though one truly imitates... By assuming the mood of the other person, it depends on these three elements. First, three examples of bodily imitation are described. So he's doing a sort of typical thing of acharyas, is to analyze, um, to break things down, to show different sorts of a particular phenomenon. In this case, imitation can be done by body, speech, and mind. And then he's just saying that uh, what's first being described is imitations of the body. Um, and I won't continue with that, but somewhere here. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. Okay, this is... Uh, now, just because we're reading about their imitating Putana, according to Kavikarnapura, and we'll say something more about him soon, uh, Kavikarnapura explains uh, in his, I, I would believe it must be in his, Ananda Vrindavan Champu. But he says that this is one of the functions of Yoga Maya in this pastime. That Yoga Maya, it's Yoga Maya who takes uh, the role of Putana and other demons in these, um, in these imitations of Krishna's pastimes. And they do this uh, because, or sorry, Yoga Maya does this because the gopis would not want to take the roles of demons against Krishna. But they need to have the roles of demons in order to perform the pastime. Therefore, Yoga Maya comes in that form and takes that role. <laughs> so this is one way. One way, one of we spoke yesterday about the several ways that yoga maya functions in this uh, rasa lila. So this is one additional way that he, she performs according to Kavikarnapura. Um, it's also mentioned that Kavikarnapura is saying that what's being described in these series of verses about the imitations 
is their very much changing emotions of the gopis, and that this is describing their vyabhichari bhavas, and their intermittent uh, emotions which are enriching, which are, yeah, enriching their their central stai, sorry, stai bhava of of uh, prema. Okay, then moving to verse twenty three. Okay, yes, uh, this I just thought is very charming. Um, so the verse is, this is the last of this series describing imitations. One gopi tied up her slender companion with a flower garland and said, now I will bind this boy who has broken the butter pots and stolen the butter to this mortar, unquote. The second gopi then covered her face, pretending to be afraid by the movements of her eyes. And the explanation is... Mm, now, imitation, which is predominantly mental, is described. One gopi, different from the others, a messenger who was more elderly, anyaya, following behind, acted as the mother. Or one gopi, who was most gentle, most outstanding, acted like his mother. Previously, his mother had bound him up with a very soft rope of cow hair. Or first with a garland, and then with another material, anyaya, a gopi acting as Krishna, was bound up. Attempting to tie him up many times, they were able to bind him with a garland. They acted according to their fancy. So, of course, performing of drama uh, is a very creative activity. Perhaps you have all participated in drama performance yourself, at least I'm sure you have watched dramas and um, dramas done by devotees. And there's a huge amount of, um, there's, we may say, imitation, but there's also a huge amount of imagination. Uh, in this case, the gopis are imagining, because they don't have any rope with them, uh, as paraphernalia for drama performance. But they do have flowers. Um, how they make a garland out of the flowers, I think they are very expert. They don't need thread. Uh, they can tie the flowers with the stalks together in such a way that there's no need of a needle and thread to make a garland. Uh but this garland is representing a rope. But you can also turn it around 
and say that the rope is representing a garland and that the sort of primordial tying up of Krishna is what's being described here. Um, And there's a pastime where Srimati Radharani ties Krishna uh, with a garland. And and that is also referring to Damodar, and therefore uh, we, we, we worship Radha Damodar. Uh, this is, mm, in this case, the Dhamma, uh, which is tying the Udara, the, the stomach, is, is a garland. So, but the point is there is uh, imagination being used in this process of imitating and remembering. And uh, as is pointed out by Sanatana Goswami, this particular pastime is um, mainly mental. Uh, it's not so much physical and, or speaking, it's more mental. Goes on to say, one gopi was thin. Because of the pain of separation, she immediately became thin. Out of prema, they imitated the Lord being controlled by his devotees. Tatra can mean in that imitation or among the gopis. Tatra, one became the mortar. One gopi imitated fear by moving her eyes and covering her face with her hands. This is a quality of a small child when he is afraid. She imitated his characteristics of fear trembling, hair standing on end, crying slightly, and a pitiful voice. By imitating fear, it is an imitation of his mentality. Fear is a product of the mind. The Damodar pastime, which shows he is controlled by the devotees, is the best of all pastimes. Thus, it is at the end, since one should conclude with sweetness. Madhurena sama payet. So that's interesting. It's considered the most sweet of the pastimes, and here it says the best uh, of the pastimes. Uh, and then madhurena sama payet, it is uh, given at the end. Samapa. Uh, samapta, completion. It's happening at the end because it's sweet. And yet, within the sweetness, there is expression of fear. But what is that fear? It is a fear that a small boy feels at uh, prospective punishment from his mother. And everyone knows that that punishment is not going to be very severe. And so, although the child is feeling fear, it's actually very charming. Uh, What to speak of when Krishna is uh, the subject. Okay, this brings us to verse number 28, which is an important one. But before we go there, 
Um, anyone have any comments on any of this so far? Otherwise, we can take a break. Anantakur Sundar. Maharaj, when these gopis are like imitating the pastimes of uh, Krishna, hmm. like we find they are imitating pastimes of even killing the demons or Krishna being bound. So I just wanted to know whether it's my speculation that the Madhura Ras, because it involves all the Rasas, they are able to relish all the Rasas. Mm. And that may not be true with the people uh, of a lower rasa to enjoy the uh, pastimes of higher rasa. Mm. So is there something like that or it's my just uh, speculation? Well, uh, Madhurya or Shingara rasa is also called Adi rasa. It's the original rasa and we can say it's the root rasa. Uh, and... My understanding is that all the other rasas in Vrindavan are supporting the Madhurya rasa. Everyone is participating one way or another uh, to heighten, to intensify, to make um, as perfect as possible uh, the Adi rasa. So from that perspective, they're all interwoven, you can say. And, yeah, the gopis, from their perspective of Madhurya, are appreciating the relations, the moods of all the other devotees of Braja. That is part of their, part of their perfection. They, they have um, deep appreciation of all devotees. Uh, and that would mean appreciation of their... Um, re, uh, their feelings for Krishna, their particular moods. Just like Srimati Radharani certainly has a deep appreciation of Mother Yashoda and her Vatsalya mood in relation to Krishna. Uh, it's not a problem for, for Radharani, you know, to comprehend uh, that Mother Yashoda has this mood. Okay. Uh, Maharaj, just uh, other way around, if we say, like, uh, can Yashoda Maya comprehend the mood of Radharani? Ah, well, yes and no. There is, I think there's a function of, <laughs> there's a function of Yoga Maya going on there, where Mother Yashoda is generally quite innocent about what's going on <laughs> between Radha and Krishna. Yes. On the other side, we do know of pastimes where she wants to arrange marriage between Radha and Krishna, you know, <clears throat> at Pili uh, Pukur, uh, uh, Leela, and all of that. So, you know, a lot of things are going on. <laughs> Um, okay, Bhimla Prasad. Uh, just a small, uh, short one, Maharaj. Like, mm. when you're talking about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and yes, in, in some scholastic circles, I also like dabbled into books, and they kind of, because they cannot understand really what's going on, but they're seeing it from that perspective. So they even said that uh, he had epilepsy. Yeah. That caused him uh, that kind of 
Yeah. Emotions basically. Right. Functional. So then that was like. <laughs> yeah. No, I've seen that. Funny. But that that's there. But what I find even in some sense more interesting, that's sort of to be expected. What's more interesting to me is that it's even in Chaitanya Bhagavat. I mean, they don't mention epilepsy as such. I don't know what the term they use is, but, you know, something like batul. Um, yeah, yes, Maharaj. That's just like a, uh, some, they cough what with the yeah. imbalance. But and they the, get yeah. this uh, oil, special, special yeah, yeah, oil yeah. massage. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, hey, Magopi Devi. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Hare Krishna. Uh, I wanted to, uh, I feel grateful and I wanted to thank you for uh, highlighting this nature of gopis that they don't want to find fault with anyone, you know, mm. how they were questioning. And when they didn't get answer, it was natural for people to think that maybe they are jealous. That's why they're not answering or whatever. But then they made a conscious effort not to think bad about anyone, you know? yeah. or maybe Mother Earth is meditating, or you know. So <laughs> I was very grateful for the examples they have given because yeah. it's something we as devotees, um, I as a devotee, lack so much. You know? yeah. So I was appreciating that beautiful mood. Thank yes. you, Maharaj. Thank you. Yes, uh, the, even in Rasalila, there are uh, the gopis are teaching us. <laughs> Uh, Ramakrishna Prabhu. Hare Krishna Maharaj. First of all, I would like to really thank for the wonderful insights of the divine madness that uh, you have been highlighting. <laughs> and at the same time, this question of uh, His Grace Anandagaur Prabhu regarding whether the lower levels of rasas are able to understand the higher part of higher rasas. Mm. Uh, we see a classic example of uh, Balaram who mm. who tells to Krishna what's going around when uh, uh, when he came back from the uh, Brahma Vimohan Leela point of time and when he saw especially the cows running around towards their calves which was uh, unusual mm. and also and also during the Govardhana's lifting also Balrams would constantly watch at what actually Krishna is all about when he was with his gopis <laughs> yeah. so <laughs> Definitely, even though he was in a lower rasa in terms of Sakya, he was able to understand Madhurya, though he is the Supreme Personality himself. Yes. As rightly pointed out by you, that this whole drama is actually being organized very expertly by Yoga Maya. Yeah. And she is raising curtains and dropping curtains in front of everyone <laughs> yeah. according to the will of the Lord. And thereby, we see the transcendental show. I was, I was just... I was just seeing that how Sanatan Goswami is on the background of as able to see these different screens being lifted. Yes. And that's why in his commentaries, actually, we see such reflections. Yes, very nice point. Yes, he's just watching all of this and, and uh, saying, oh, but also we can take it this way or this way or this way. Yes, thank you. Nice. Okay, let's take a little break and we'll be back soon. Hare Krishna. Recording stopped. So now uh, let's go to verse number 28 of chapter 30. 
a famous verse, Anayaradito Nunam Bhagavan Harir Ishvaraha Yannovihaya Govinda Prito Yam Anayatraha. And we have the BBT translation. Certainly, this particular gopi has perfectly worshipped the all-powerful personality of Godhead Govinda, since he was so pleased with her that he abandoned the rest of us and brought her to a secluded place. Um, and I'll read just part of this purport from the BBT publication. Srila Vishwanath Chagavardi explains that the word Aradita refers to Srimati Radharani. He comments, quote, The sage Shukadev Goswami has tried with all endeavor to keep her name hidden. But now it automatically shines forth from the mouth, from the moon of his mouth. That he has spoken her name is indeed her mercy. And thus the word aradita is like the rumbling of a kettle drum sounded to announce her great good fortune. And then uh, he goes on to say, although the gopis spoke as if jealous of Shimati Radharani, they were actually ecstatic to see that she had captured Sri Krishna. Now, there may be different opinions on this point, uh, because if I remember correctly, not here, but in another verse, Sanatana Goswami says, well, there are different groups of of gopis, and uh, yes, some gopis were ecstatic to meet Shimati Radharani, but others were not uh, the followers of Chandravali had a different mood. <laughs> so, yes, there's politics even in the spiritual world, or maybe. Maybe that's the original place of politics. Um, okay, then a little bit from uh, Sanatana Goswami on this verse. He says, Some gopis speak of her good fortune in joy without mentioning the gopis' names since they recognized the footprints as Radha's and were relieved. Nunam indicates conjecture or certainty. Narayana Bhagavan, who takes away all distress, Hari, who is capable of fulfilling the desires of the devotees, or is independent, Ishvaraha, is controlled by Aradita, her, not by us. So he's bringing out this mood of the gopis that actually she's the one who controls Krishna. We don't control him. 
If he had not gone with her, we would not be suffering in separation. Radha means one who controls or worships. As Lord of Gokula, Govinda, he has given us up, though we and she are equal. Leaving us in the forest in the night, he has brought her to a place where we cannot go, Raha. So he's, mm, in one sense, Sanatana Goswami is often, he's simply explaining the words, and we remember from Gary Tubbs' book, uh, this is one of the functions of the commentator, just to explain the words. But in the course of his explanation, he's highlighting the dynamics, the dynamics of the rasa as it's unfolding and as it's mixing and as it's playing out uh, between and among the devotees. So it's actually quite artful uh, how these commentaries by the acharyas in um, in the Bhagavatam are accomplished. Uh, okay, then I think we should jump now to follow. Um, was it Anantagor's request? I forget, uh, to discuss verse 37. Yes. Okay. Uh, that, so they're, they're wandering, and then they find footprints. Oops, gone too far. They find footprints, and they become really, now the gopis really become like detectives. Uh, they're... Um, analyzing what's going on just by looking at the footprints and seeing the movements. And now there's two sets of footprints, and now there's one set. And, oh, Krishna must have lifted her here, and so on. Then we come to verse 37. Tatogatva dripta keshavam abravit naparayeham chalitum Naya mam yatra te manaha. As the two lovers passed through one part of the Vrindavan forest, the special gopi began feeling proud of herself. She told Krishna, who had tied up her hair, quote, I cannot walk any further. Please let please lead me wherever you want to go. And this becomes then the prompt uh, for Krishna to again disappear. <laughs> and then the gopis find Shimati Radharani alone in a state of great remorse, as it's described in the Bhagavatam. Um, but One of you mentioned, and I found uh, the translation of this, how Kavikarnapura takes this in a very different way. Now, we have a book. Um, I showed you the book of 
Gopal Hari Prabhu, who was the younger brother of Radhika Raman Prabhu in um, Utah, who teaches at Utah State University. So two brothers, and they're both university professors uh, teaching religion. And actually, Gopal Hari teaches ethics. He's a professor of ethics. Uh, but uh, we have another scholar, professor in Oxford. His name is Gopinata Acharya Prabhu. And he did his doctoral research also in Oxford and then published uh, the dissertation after a lot, a lot of uh, revision, also in the same book series. So it has the same cover uh, as same cover design as uh, Gopal Hari's book about Maya in the Bhagavatam. This book is about Kavikarnapura, um, a Vaishnav poet in early modern Bengal, Kavikarnapura's splendor of speech. And in this book, he goes into great detail on the whole subject of rasa in the Gaudiya Vaishnava tradition, but also more broadly, the, the, the history going back to um, Bharat Muni and so on. And he highlights how Kavikarnapura approaches the subject of bhakti rasa in some respects very similar to Rupa Goswami, but in other respects differently from Rupa Goswami. Geographically, uh, they were living in different places. Uh, Rupa Goswami was in Vrindavan, and Kavikarnapura was in Bengal. So they were not, there weren't, uh, there was no interaction or very minimal interaction between them. Um, now, Kavikarnapura, who was his guru? His, his guru was Srinath Chakravarti. And Srinath Chakravarti Thakur wrote a commentary on the Bhagavatam. Uh, I'm forgetting the title of it now, but he wrote a commentary. Which, Vaishnava Manjusha. Thank you. The Vaishnava Manjusha of Srinath Chakravarti. And... Srinath Chakravarti tends to have quite different perspectives uh, than the other commentators sometimes. And Kavikarnapura is following his guru. And so he's also following him with respect to the Rasalila understanding, which he's describing in his. Ananda Vrindavan Champu. And we have a translation um, of portions of this um, as explained, translated and explained by Gopinathacharya Prabhu. So I want to read some of this. <clears throat> okay, first Gopinathacharya explains the narrative, that is the 
what we're reading now in chapter 30. The narrative then shifts to Radha herself. The Bhagavata states that the gopi, uh, the gopi Krishna had singled out, who, like all the gopis, is nameless in the text, had become proud, dripta. Uh, this is in verse 37. Mm, yes. And thought, quote, our beloved has left the other gopis who were impelled by desire and now serves me alone. She then arrogantly told Krishna she could walk no further. He should carry her. Climb on my shoulder, Krishna told her. And as she tried to do so, he vanished from her as well. And Gopinath goes on further. He says, Srinath, that is Srinath Chakravarti Thakur, reads this passage differently. He writes, quote, Radha remembered all her friends and pondered why she considered herself the best of all women. What is meant by this? She thought, quote, I have become the best of all, but this is not appropriate for me. It is for this reason, he argues, that she told Krishna she could walk no further and asked him to carry her. Kavikarnapura works Srinath's reading into his narrative and gives it even greater emphasis. And now Gopinath is quoting directly from Ananda Vrindavan Champu. She whose heart is supremely tender, the best of the most affectionate, who is like the emblem of the beautiful and fortunate, for so long so rarely found, was eager for amorous play, <clears throat> but dissatisfied at heart. She then thought to herself, Ah, by separating me from my friends, the Lord of my life grants me alone exceptional love. Alas, how will they live? I should act somewhat contrarily, so that he will not go very far from here, and all will gradually meet us here. Unquote. And then Gopinath goes on. In other words, Radha acted out of compassion, not pride. She certainly desired to enjoy with Krishna, but she was dissatisfied thinking of her deserted friends. Radha therefore told Krishna she could uh, no longer continue walking and suggested they rest for a moment. Krishna, however, only perceived the apparent pride. And now uh, again quoting Kavikarnapura. Outwardly, he considered her words, which seemed wondrous, 
to be piercing like arrows, and perceived their prickly pride, though they were naturally prideless. However, within, he thought, this pride of her delights my mind and is certainly befitting a beautiful independent lover. I will use that to disappear from her. Unquote. But still quoting from Anandavan Champu, Krishna, whose lotus eyes remind one of the rising sun and who acts harshly for the special sport of removing superficial pride, said, quote, If there is nothing here to transport you, then satisfy yourself by climbing on the lustrous loveliness of my solid shoulders. Saying this, while fully visible, being right there, he vanished before her eyes. And then Gopinath Acharya goes on, when Krishna disappeared, Radha's world became inverted. What gave joy now grieved, what adorned now polluted. Her, quote, skilled speech, a river of nectar on earth, which had soaked her in joy, became a river of venom. The perfectly scented sandal paste she had used to anoint her body burned like coal. The perfect mascara she had applied to adorn her eyes seemed to have become brackish water polluted by poison. Her necklace suddenly seemed a strangling serpent. Her other jewelry toxic instruments of torture. Radha immediately pleaded for Krishna to reveal himself. Unlike, unlike the other gopis, she did, uh, she did realize he had not gone, but merely hid himself. And now here she speaks. O Lord, O lover, O singular stream of love, beloved, where are you? Please reveal yourself to me. I know you remain right here, yet because you are distant to my eyes, I am, a, I am consumed by my every searing breath. And then Gopinath continues, she knew she was inseparable from Krishna, yet suffered from the apparent separation, a pain so piercing that it seemed she would die, yet one prolonged by every breath she took. Again, Kavikarnapura emphasizes Radha did not act out of pride. Continuing her plea, she said, quote, No, what I said, what made you angry, is no offense induced by pride. To delay us so that they could catch up, I said I could walk no further, not out of pride. 
And then Gopinath goes on, she begged Krishna to reveal himself again, if only to save her innocent friends who would surely die were they to see her in this state. So again, she's concerned about her friends. She concluded, quote, Cursed is night if she is not loved by the moon who commands the dark. Cursed is the lotus if she is not seen by her lord, the blazing sun. Cursed is that life which is despised by the very lord who rules that life. Only when they delight one's beloved do virtues become virtues. Yes, and the Sanskrit for that, I think, is nice to hear. Dik yaminim naramate yadi yaminisho, dik padminim yadi napashati padminishaha, dik jivitam yat avahelati jivitesho, bukta priyena hi guno gunatam upaiti. Yeah, so there we have quite a different perspective <laughs> on this uh, this interlude, this part of the pastime. Um, Anantagor Sundar, I see your I see your uh, hand, but if you don't mind, I feel we should at least start with. Chapter 31, Um, so maybe you can hold on to your comment, Um, because time is passing us very quickly. Chapter 31, the gopi's song of separation, and I wanted to go to the last paragraph of uh, this first verse. Uh, the first verse, Jayati Tedikam Janmanavraja Shrayata Indira Shashvaratrahi Dayata Drishyatang Dikshutavakas Tvahidritasavas Tamvichinvate The gopis said, O beloved, your birth in the land of Raja has made it exceedingly glorious. And thus Indira, the goddess of fortune, always resides here. It is only for your sake that we, your devoted servants, maintain our lives. We have been searching everywhere for you, so please show yourself to us. And as we discussed before, this is the theme throughout the song. Please show yourself to us. Okay, let me uh, show the screen again. And uh, here... The last paragraph. 
Um, okay, I don't know. I made this point. Okay, um, the last paragraph in this uh, page on the left, they do not directly say we or the gopis. They could not say this because of extreme humility caused by the defeat on being rejected. Or they spoke generally with a desire to announce their sorrow as his servants in great pain. Or the statement becomes deeper by making a general statement. For the same reasons, they later say, apashyatam. So here I just wanted to point out that in terms of commentary in general, I find it striking that here Sanatana Goswami is not giving a gloss, he's not giving a grammatical uh, explanation or any of that mm, about one word or phrase or line or the verse itself, what is he doing? He's explaining why something is not in the verse, <laughs> namely we or the gopis, we gopis. Um, so it's interesting to me that he's noticing an absence here, the absence of, uh, of a word representing the gopis. I just thought that's intriguing. Um, more broadly, I think we would want to pay special attention to uh, how all of this chapter is an expression of love, but it's an expression of love and pain. They're repeatedly talking about their pain. At least this is brought out in the commentary of Sanatana Goswami. Um, and it's an interesting thing to reflect on, just broadly speaking, how, do, how does one communicate feelings of pain? Um, you know, just a physical pain. I stub my toe and... Uh, Suddenly I have this sharp pain in my toe or toes uh, because I foolishly hit something with the tip of my foot. And for some time it's quite painful. But how would you describe that pain? If you think about it, we don't have a whole lot of vocabulary for pain. Um, we, we understand what it is from our experience. But to describe exactly, and this is a constant problem for doctors, the, the patient comes into the doctor's office and says, my stomach hurts. Okay, uh, what, what else can you tell me about it? So it, to communicate about pain can be very, very difficult. But this chapter is communicating pain, but it's communicating pain through uh, this song 
uh, and the song is a plea to relieve them of pain. So in this way, it's uh, it's very ch charming, it's very sweet. But we understand, again, from the commentary, it's, it's a serious pain that the gopis feel. And whether we can whether we can grasp what that feeling is is uh, i think a question for us as we as we read okay verse number 3 vishajalapyat vyalarakshasat varshamarut varshamarutat vaidyutanalat Rishamayat majat vishvato bayat rishabate vayam rakshita muhu. O greatest of personalities, you have repeatedly saved us from all kinds of danger, from poisoned water, from the terrible man-eater aga, from the wind mixed with rains and the fiery thunderbolt of Indra, from vatsasura and from yomasura. Okay, I'm going to jump to the middle of this commentary on the right. Starts out here. Here they mention themselves directly, Vayam, in order to indicate to him, Krishna, to help them even now. Thus they say, you protected us constantly, Muhu. You were most merciful without indifference. So there's a logic here. Uh, they are in great distress, and they're pointing out, they're reminding Krishna, you have protected the residents of Vrindavan so many times in so many ways, and here are many ways you've done it, and so you should protect us now. Or, Sanatana Goswami goes on to say, they directly experienced these events as in a dream or hallucination under the influence of prema. Thus the chronological order is missing out of confusion in separation, or the events are arranged in order of less fear for Krishna, with a clear enumeration of the events. We were saved from the poisonous water, what to speak of from Agasura. What to speak of, of course, Kim Uta Kaimutya Nyaya. Um, so directly experience these events as in a dream or hallucination is interesting because when we say, I directly experienced this in a dream, then someone says, oh, well, then it was just a dream. It didn't really happen. So you didn't directly experience it. But the point here seems to be that they're overcome by their feelings of love. And so for them, it was all real. And they seem to be re-experiencing these, um, these past times of protection. And so they're uh, recalling, they're recalling them or sharing them. 
Or we were saved from the demon Kaliya and others, other demons, from Putana, Baka, and Aga, and from Shankachuda, a Yaksha, non-different from the Rakshasas mentioned. This is made clear in the story of Dhruva. The singular Rakshasat is used to denote a species. You protected us from the storm of intoxicated Indra and from the wind of Trinavarta, Marutvat, and from the lightning at the time of the monsoon. You protected us from two forest fires and from other things like the cart, Vishvata. We and the cowherds were protected by you. Um, and that's understood by the context. Mm. Yeah, so all these examples, so therefore you should protect us. But then the final short uh, paragraph, or, <laughs> I really like this, or the word Kim is continued from the last verse. Uh, okay, the last verse means verse number two. And uh, it says, Varada nignato nehakim vada. That's where they're accusing him of being murder. Uh, they're accusing Krishna of murdering them. And now he says, or the word kim is continued from the last verse. Were we protected from all these calamities? It would be better if they would kill us. The demons are listed with increasing tendency to kill them. <laughs> so they're saying, look, the pain that we feel is so terrible that actually the best would have been that we were killed by one or another or all of those demons. Because now we're suffering so much, we just, we can't take it. Uh, so this is um, Sanatanga Swami, Srila Sanatanga Swami Ki Jai. Um, yes, Hari Lila Prabhu, you have a comment or question? I just had a small observation. Mm -hmm. So they just experienced all these demons and pastimes in the previous chapter when they were dramatizing the whole. Yeah. Uh, of Krishna. So I was just thinking it is interesting that Sanatana Goswami is mentioning that they're dreaming or hallucinating, but hmm. uh, the fact that they just experienced it uh, just now, I thought it's interesting to see. Yeah, it seems, thank you, it's, it's, like, it's like they're going through all different levels of reality. Um, there was the reality of Krishna performing exhibiting these pastimes sometime in the past, but also in the future. There's the reality of the gopis remembering these pastimes in the previous chapter, as you mentioned. There's the reality of their enacting those pastimes and being so absorbed, tat atmika, that it's as if Krishna is indeed reenacting uh, those pastimes. And now we're getting that the gopis are 
possibly hallucinating or dreaming as they're remembering the pastimes to invoke Krishna's mercy to protect them. Uh, so they're kind of... Mm, it, it, it's a kind of flow uh, without any borders. We talked about dharma being about um, boundaries. So it seems like there's the boundaries, the ordinary boundaries of consciousness for the gopis become, become minimized uh, as they're remembering Krishna. Or they become minimized or even they disappear. So it, it's, it, it's no longer reality is now, ex, it's exploding outward uh, in a way that only they can realize, only they can understand because of their bhava, because of their uh, utter devotion, but also their utter desperation to be with Krishna. Yeah, so thank you. That's nice. Um, okay, Anantagora, you wanted to say something. Yes, Maharaj. Uh, regarding the previous verse only, uh, the comment of Kavi Karnapur, it looks like as if it is nourishing more of a Manjiri bhava where somebody wants to be assistant <coughs> of Radharani. And that like uh, increases the appreciation for Radharani, that how she she's so compassionate. And that encourages one to accept her as a mistress. That I'll become a servant of Radharani. So, so, the... so you're suggesting that Kavikarnapura is exhibiting the mood of a manjari. Is that it? Miss Maharaj, I wanted to check whether Acharyas give commentary so that they nourish a particular mood. Yeah. Like maybe he wants to nourish the mood of a manjari. Oh, I see. Quite possibly. <laughs> I don't, I won't say anything like I know authoritatively. We understand, of course, that Srila Rupa Goswami is none other than uh, Sri Rupa Manjari. And so in his, in his Manjari Bhava, we might uh, take it that way, that he, he wants to nourish among the devotees but I wouldn't be able to point to explicit evidence of that but that doesn't mean much because there's so much of these shastras which I don't know <laughs> there's, there's a lot more that I don't know than what I know <laughs> that's why I'm taking this opportunity with all of you because it's an opportunity for me to learn Okay, uh, Bhimala Prasad Prabhu, we have two, uh, mo two more minutes. Yes, I'll quickly conclude. Um, I, I just like taking on from where Anand Garsundar Prabhu left, mm -hmm. same uh, thing. Uh, like, if, if we take like what he said on the face value, so isn't it like that it's kind of I mean, then you are not very, uh, uh, in that sense, what do you call, uh, impartial in 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 uh, describing an event. Like if if 
like we are giving it a particular kind of twist or a drift. Hmm. So just like as we read Bhakti Rasamrit Sindhu or basic books like Arupati Shamrita, we don't find a drift in that sense that it's going to the personal ecstasies or the personal uh, mood is coming in the way of explaining a particular incident. It's like as we understand, like when shastras are explained or they are the detail is given, it's like in a very uh, impartial or non-judgmental or kind of thing. Hmm. I don't know whether I'm able to explain the question also, frame my question properly. Um, well, my thought for the for the moment is just the verse which I believe Srila Jiva Goswami quotes in his Tattva Sandharva. Um, um, Veda Puranam Kavyam Cha um, Prabhu Mitra Priyeva Cha um, mm, What is it? Bodhayanti Ti Prahus Trivrit Bhagavata Punaha that the Bhagavatam um, is one of the reasons the Bhagavatam is so special is because it has three ways of teaching. Um, whereas most Shastras will have one of these three, the Bhagavatam has all three, namely that as a master speaks to a servant or a king to a subject, uh, as a friend speaks to a friend, and as a lover speaks to a beloved, right? So that's one of the reasons the Bhagavatam is the Bhagavatam. <laughs> so on that, on that note uh, of um, Madhurena Samapayet principle, I think we can end there for today. And... Uh, We'll see you again tomorrow, same time. Thank you all very much. Krantaraj Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai. Srila Prabhupada ki jai. Anantakoti Vaishnavarinda ki jai. Nitai Gaur Premanande Hari. Very well.